All right. Good morning. Parker said, my name's Josh. If we don't know each other, I'd love to get to know you. Um, I'm so excited to be here this morning and continue this Alive series that we're doing. We're right in the middle here of a six-week series, and I've just been so, ex- you know, so blown away by what God's done, not only here on Sunday mornings through this series, but like throughout the rest of the week in these life groups that we're doing. I think the Lord's really been meeting us in powerful ways, especially for us past, this past Monday. We did the hot seat prophecy, and I think the Lord spoke directly to people's hearts in, in that time, and it was very, very powerful. And so I'm just so excited what, where the Lord's taking us, where he's, what he's doing with this. I think he's going to ramp up and continue to ramp up the rest of this series and into the future. Um, just the first part of this series that we started going through, the Alive series here is, well, John opened it up with a story about watermelon and, and poop. And Parker and I were discussing maybe we should tell our own poop stories when we give our messages, and then we decided that's gross, and we're not going to do that. So you're spared this morning from any poop-related story, um, as far as that goes. The first part of this series was Dying to be Alive, and John opened this series um, and introduced one of the major threads of the series, which is the idea that Jesus died so that we could be free from our old nature, from our old habits, from our own these old things that were part of us, and begin to live for him. Being born again, this new life is all about allowing our old ways of thinking and and those selfish lifestyles to die and learning how to become alive in Christ. That's what we opened with. Part two, John continued about being alive in, in in God's love and how it's only really in the Father's love and we're face to face with that when we allow it to touch us that we become fully alive in who we're made to be. Part three was talking about coming alive in our identity and receiving our identity from God and God alone. It's not what we have done in the past or what we currently do, but who he says that defines us as people. Jesus was the firstborn of many siblings, and as sons and daughters, we're each called to represent Jesus. Through the first three parts of this series, we've laid a foundation for what I believe comes next. When we're alive in his love... And what he says about us and our identity, then living sacrificially becomes a love offering to God. Becomes a love offering to God. The truth is we can learn so many things about what it looks like in this life to live that out or what it it should be like. We can listen to so much preaching and teaching. We can read so many books. We can do classes. We can do the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. But if we don't actually allow ourselves to grow in personal relationship with God outside of those great learning things, but actual time spent with him in conversation with him, allowing him access to our heart and emotions, um, we can actually end up in a dangerous place because we have a bunch of knowledge about God, but we won't have the knowledge of experiencing him and knowing what his love means actually in our lives. And so it's so, so important that we understand this. God is so good. His love is so good. His faithfulness is so great. His compassion is never limited. His mercies are new every morning, and we can trust Him. We can put our hope in Him. And if you don't get anything else from this message or series, I hope that you get the, this, this invitation to come face-to-face with God in a new way, to grow in relationship with Him, because everything else flows out of that. Everything else we do flows out of that. I'm going to talk about being alive and sacrifice, or other, or other words, 
being a living sacrifice this morning. But before I jump in, I want to pray again. So, Father, I just thank you this morning. I thank you for what you're doing, God. Father, I ask that you would send your spirit of wisdom and revelation right now. Come, Holy Spirit, fill this place right now. Bring us into something new. Invite us into something new where we haven't experienced you in this way before. God, change our way of thinking. God, I ask that you would take us on this journey from glory to glory. That we learn how to lay our lives down as a love offering to you, God. What it means to, to live truly sacrificial lives because you're worthy of it, God. Amen. So, my son back there, Isaiah. Now that I'm a dad, I can speak with authority about sons. It's pretty, it's pretty nice. Oh. My son's Isaiah, and Isaiah is my son. Lynn and I created him, mostly Lynn. Um, but, but Isaiah doesn't have to do anything to earn my love. He doesn't have to do anything to earn our love. Our love is freely given to him and will always be freely given to him. Isaiah carries the Jones name, and one day he will actually help define what that name means, either for posit- you know, positively or negatively. And either way, we're going to still love him. No matter how he decides to carry that name, we're going to love him either way. Jesus is the perfect son of the Father. He carries the name so well that he, in fact, shows us what it means to be God, who God really is. He carries the name so well. He's the exact imprint of the Father's nature. When we see Jesus, we see the Father. We understand who God is. He also shows us what it means to be sons and daughters of God and what it means to be alive in the Father's love in ways that were never expressed before seeing Jesus in the full revelation of who he was. If we look in the scriptures, we can see that Jesus shows us what it means to carry the family name and what that actually means for our lives. And he expects us to actually carry the family name. He gives us that responsibility. He entrusts that name to us. And so we get to carry it with him. Last week, John talked about how our worth is defined by the price that the Father and the Son paid for us to get us into relationship, to prove it to us, to prove our worth to us. It's from understanding our worth to God through a personal relationship with him that we begin to live our lives out and do the things we're called to do in his name. But if we get that mixed up, we'll end up trying to do things to earn love, to earn a place by his side when he's already done everything that's possible to already take us and put him next to him in heavenly places. He's already done that. It's not what we do. He's already done the hard part. So first and foremost, your calling is to be a son or a daughter, a child of God who belongs to him, born again into righteousness by the blood of Jesus, and to be a witness of this good news to everybody around you. That's your calling, first and foremost. And just like Jesus, you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to reconcile the world to the Father, to bring that relationship back into focus, to explain what that means, to to live it out and be an example of it. Being, Being reconciled to God means that the Son was not sacrificed to the Father to make amends on our behalf because God was angry at us. 
No, it's actually the opposite. The Father sent the Son to show how much He loves us, to bring us back into the place of being in relationship with Him. God has turned towards every person with open arms, and He entrusts us to carry that family name and walk in all the authority, the power, and the love that that means, that, that, what that looks like and it entails. So walking in humility means accepting that truth and living it out in our lives. So through this Alive series, we're hoping to resemble more of who Jesus calls us to be in our daily lives and what Scripture calls being the aroma of Christ. So turn to 2 Corinthians 2, 15 through 16, and it'll be up on the screen. We have become the unmistakable aroma of the victory of the anointed one to God, a perfume of life to those being saved, and the odor of death to those who are perishing. The unbelievers smell a deadly stench that leads to death, but believers smell the life-giving aroma that leads to abundant life. And who of us can rise to this challenge? Paul continues in 2 Corinthians 3, 8 through 10 on this message. Yet how much more radiant is this new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What was once glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasingly greater glory that has replaced it. So what's, that, what's he talking about here? He's actually talking about the, form, the former ministry of condemnation is the law. It was the law that was set up in the old covenant between God and the children of Israel. When the law was broken or when sin was committed, there was a requirement of payment to God or to the law in the form of a sacrifice. This is the language of worship in the Old Testament. In coming to God, the worshiper brought a sheep or a bull or a pigeon or some burnt offering and sacrificed it on the altar as an offering to God, and the smell, the aroma, would rise and fill the place of that burning animal or that, that incense or whatever it was. We usually see sacrifice how it was established through Moses. So how many of you know that there's actually a timeline of sacrifice in the Bible? There's a timeline. From the beginning, leading all the way up to the cross, to Jesus' death, resurrection, and finally crescendoing in the assignment that the church carries today, that we carry today. So way back in Genesis 3, there's this verse that we can easily skip over, and I don't have time to read the whole story, but if you remember in chapter 3, Adam and Eve have just been found out that they've been eating eating from the tree, you know, and God confronts them, and it's, it's laid out there, and for the first time, you know, they, they realize that sin has come into them, and they've entered into it, and they've come out from the covering of God. They've come out from the, under the covering of God, and they see themselves naked, because they're no longer under God's covering, and so what happens here is, in this short verse in 21, it says, the Lord God made tunics of animal skins for Adam and his wife, and he clothed them. So how many of you know to make tunics out of animals, you have to kill something, right? You have to kill an animal. So that's the first sacrifice that happens here. The Lord made the sacrifice on behalf of them to bring them back into a temporary covering. The next chapter we read about is Cain and Abel offering a sacrifice to the Lord, and we read about how a wholehearted sacrifice is pleasing to the Lord, but a sacrifice given out of obligation is, is, is not 
a true sacrifice. It's not a true heart posture. This carries on and on throughout the Old Testament. Abraham and God sacrifice animals to show as a sign of their covenants to one another. God asks Abraham if he's willing and would sacrifice his son, Isaac, as a sign of what God was willing to sacrifice his only begotten son for us. Jesus made it abundantly clear through his own life, death and resurrection, that his life wasn't a love offering. It was a love offering poured out to the Father because he loves the Father and to the world because he loves the world. It defined who God is for us. Is Jesus being that exact imprint. We see that this is what God is like. He pours himself out. As children of God, sacrifice is also part of our relationship. We're called to carry on the family name, like I said, by being a love offering poured out every day of our lives. And he's totally worth it. He's totally worth it. So Romans 12, actually, if you guys want to turn to Romans 12, this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning to understand what it actually looks like. So go ahead and turn there. And there are many places in the Bible that we could press into what it means and how to live this out. But to me, Romans 12 seems like one of the best places. We probably don't have time to hit everything in detail, all these 21 verses, but to set us up here, Paul has taken what Jesus has shown the early believers, and he's teaching them how to apply it in their own lives. In this chapter, Paul is making a shift in his letter from exposition to exhortation, from doctrine to duty, from belief to behavior, how we live it out. So starting with Romans 12, verse 1, Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as the living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So therefore, I urge you, my brothers, in view of God's mercy. These words don't appear out of nowhere. Paul's not urging us to live this kind of life for no reason. No, it's all based on the chapters that came before. 1 through 11, they're all about how their lives have been touched by God's mercy, how they've been impacted by God's mercy. And it's God's mercy is the reason to live the way that Paul's about to set us up for. God does not merely sit around and think merciful thoughts towards us. Rather, his compassion is actually acted upon, and it can be experienced. And it's that experience that fills us with joy and gladness as the Holy Spirit meets us. It's that experience of his mercy. It's dwelling on and, and, and letting that touch every part of our lives that fuel the kind of living, this kind of sacrifice, this kind of worship that we're talking about today. It changes from obligation to love. But if we live like that, if we live like Cain and his offering out of ob obligation, or just like the religious mindset that came from the law but didn't change the heart, we'll, we'll live in this, this place of legalism where we have to do that, we have to prove this thing, or we have to atone for this or atone for that. And, and Paul is pointing out aspect after aspect of God's mercy towards us, and he's saying that's not what the heart of God is. Let me hit one, one highlight from chapter 8, Romans 8, 15 through 16. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. We belong to him. Have you ever stopped to think about that? God chose us, and he actually put his spirit in us, so that we could have grace to live out a pleasing offering to the Lord. That we could be a pleasing offering to the Lord. It's His grace the Holy Spirit's imparted to us. 
He's given us an identity as sons and daughters. He has plans for us. He has a destiny for us. So back to Romans 12, 1. Therefore, in view of all these things, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What does a life lived in response to God's mercy look like? It looks like worship. It looks like giving him everything that that's, we have, all up, every part of us. Paul's challenging this mindset or worldview that the Jews were so accustomed to, and he wants them to view their lives, their lives themselves as the sacrifice, not this animal that they bring forward, but themselves as a sacrifice, as worship to the Father, because that's what Jesus' life was. That's what Jesus demonstrated. He's taking them on a journey from we have to sacrifice to atone for our sins to we want to sacrifice our bodies, our whole lives as an act of worship, because we love you. Self refers to two types of bodies. One is our individual bodies, you know, us individually, every part of who we are. And the other is like our community of faith, our church. It's both kind of bodies, and, and Paul is talking about both of these things as we read through here. Keep that in mind. So let's think about this individually first. Paul says, Worship God, offer him your body. Hey, Parker, can you hand me my water? We normally speak today of people giving their hearts to God. But Paul's challenging, challenging us to give our bodies, not just our hearts. Because actually what we worship with is not just our hearts, it's our bodies. It's what we do. These are instruments, you know. We worship with these things. They're a song to the Lord, you know, another way to think about it. Our bodies are what we worship with. And so there's no part of our body that we don't want to be worshiping God. We want every part of us to be worshiping Him. He doesn't want us to... Um, just have worship as part of our lives. He wants our whole lives to be a worship. God wants our mouths and our ears to speak prophetically to us and through us, but he also wants our actions. He wants the things that we do, our obedience. He wants the rest of us. It's not just about praying or singing. It's about going and doing and obeying. We can't separate what we do with our bodies from the relationship with God because we're integrated things and we live through these things. God's not asking us to show up to church and sing a few songs and give a few bucks or our time to some outreaches or this, this thing and that thing. It's not about paying dues. It's about, it's about entering into this relationship with everything about us. He's inviting to give over all that we are and all that we do. The way that we live is profoundly spiritual, whether we like it or not, it is. We can't separate that. Like We might be able to like tune out, but it's, this doesn't matter because everything about us is spiritual. So while we offer our bodies to him, why do we do it? Because he's worthy of it. He's totally worthy of it. No matter what else happened, he's totally worthy of it. And this is a voluntary act that we do because we're overcome by his love for us. It's a voluntary act. It's best to see the body here as a reference to our entire being. Whatever we say about our spirit, our soul, our flesh, and our mind, we know that they live inside of us. You know, they're somewhere contained in here. And when we give the body to God, the soul and the spirit go with it. So present, present your body means God wants you, not just your work. He wants you. You may do all kinds of work, but you may never give him yourself yourself. You might not give him that. And, and this, this idea calls to mind a priestly servant. 
Spiritually speaking, our bodies, ourselves, everything inside of us are brought to God's altar. In the Hebrew customs, people would bring a sacrifice to make amends to God, as we said before. And this, the priest would place his hands on the offering, and he would transfer the sin or the blame or the guilt or the shame or the sickness, whatever it was, onto the animal, and then he'd kill it as the, as the sacrifice. And, and then they'd burn it at times. And Jesus' life was given in worship to his Father and to complete the law, and Jesus' Jesus's life and sacrifice and death and resurrection was the Father's love offering to us. Jesus is our high priest, and he's also the sacrifice that's taken on all sin and shame and guilt. He's taken on our past. He nails it to himself on the cross, and then he puts his hands on us and transfers his life, his gifts, and his attributes into us. So that's what it means when we're going on here. In Romans 12, 1, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We're called to be a sacrifice that's living, that's holy, that's acceptable. To, being a, to be a living sacrifice, I must be alive. A new creation, alive in his love, alive in the identity and all the things that he's transferred from himself onto me. We're a holy sacrifice because he calls us holy. We're partakers, we are participants and we're carriers of his divine nature, holy and divine nature. So don't call what he calls holy unholy. At the same time, we do have to participate and partake of this holiness, and it's our job to carry it out. Being a living sacrifice that's holy is walking in daily obedience out of love, and that's really acceptable to God. Have you ever lived or worked with somebody who, like their default mindset or they were basically displeased with you like your interactions with them they're like displeased with you like maybe you're not good enough always in their minds when we live in those places for long enough it can become very damaging to us it can it can really just break down things inside but god god is assuring us that our worship is pleasing to him it's pleasing to him Having begun with his love and keeping our eyes open to what his mercies might look like, the implications of those, we know that we're pleasing to God. How much more is that, that effective, you know, that love effective in the motivation to do what, what he calls us to do? How much more is that effective? To know that we're already acceptable, that we don't have to waste a lot of time to try to prove ourselves to anybody or to him. If we really believe that our sacrifice, our worship is acceptable, even pleasing to God, if we believe that our gifts matter, our service matters to God, and that we get, if we give them an offering to them, they'd be good enough. If we believe that our bodies matter to God, will we look after them better? How will we steward the things that the Lord's given us? Will we suddenly realize that the rest of the week actually matters to God? Offering all of who we are both as individuals and as a church body, is pleasing to God, and he's happy when, our, when we give it all of ourselves. He feels that love just like we feel his love because he's given all of himself to us. And that knowledge is vital. If we don't think that he will be happy, all of you will hold things back. Have you ever done that? Like you've been in a relationship and you know this person might reject you, so you don't give all of yourself to them? Well, the Lord's not ever going to reject us. We don't need to put up self-defense mechanisms between us and God. God's reassuring us here that we can give him everything because it's pleasing and already acceptable to him. So let's read on. 
Romans 12.2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. So there's two opposing forces um, going against each other for change in our lives. One comes from the outside and it's pressure on the outside. And one comes from the inside and it transforms us from the inside. That word transform is the, the Greek word um, describing a metamorphosis. The same word is used to describe and Jesus is transfigured on the mountain. It's that kind of transformation happening on the inside of us. It's that glory to glory. So how do I do it? Well, verse 2 has the answer by renewing of our minds. It's not about our feelings and emotions, though God loves my feelings and emotions, but it's more about finding out what's true and what his thoughts are and then lining up with that reality. Because what he holds is truer than my emotions and my feelings, and I want to be transformed to his thoughts. And, and then taking those things and finding out what his will is for us and spending our lives on those things. So verses 4 through 13 continue to show us what it means to be a living sacrifice, but actually from a corporate body, giving our lives as an offering for one another. So it's Romans 12, 4 through 5. For as in, as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we through many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So I could give a whole other message about those verses, but to sum it up, it would be living in unity with the body by using our gifts well to serve one another. Romans 12, 6 through 8 continues saying, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us and using them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So basically, if you have gifts, use them. <laughs> That's what he's saying. Because <laughs> they build up the rest of the body. The word translated as leads or leadership in this passage literally means to stand in front or stand before and is defined as influencing others as to cause them to follow a recommended course of action, to guide or direct to lead, to engage in helping or aiding. So leading with zeal enables us to find the balance between overproductivity that's like workaholic, kind of characterized by workaholics, or mediocrity of those who limit their work just enough to get by. It's that zeal for the Lord and who he is and what he's done for us that, that gives us the right kind of mindset and transforms our mind. Remember that spiritual giftedness does not always equal spiritual maturity. Just because somebody has you know, a substantial spiritual gift does not mean they're necessarily spiritually mature or actually sacrificing out of love. There could be other reasons that they're doing the things that they're doing. If you have a role or a position in ministry, if you teach or preach, if you lead in any capacity... If you're serving, you're leading in the capacity. If you have a small group at your house, if you do church in your living room, you know, you, you're a leader. And Galatians 9, or 6, 9 says, instructs us, let, not, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It can be really easy to grow tired in ministry. How many people know that? Raise your hand. It can be really easy to grow tired. Even just like having people over your house can be can pull from you. And it's this idea that, that we're pouring ourselves out time and time and time again for people. We're pouring ourselves out. And, and that's a, it's a noble thing, and it's a really awesome thing to do that. 
But the Lord wants us to be overflowing. He doesn't want us to be pouring ourselves out. He wants us to be overflowing because of our relationship with Him. So we must be continually filled by God's love so that we can be overflowing. So that our sacrifice is not a dead, empty vessel. It's actually a living sacrifice. We want it to be... If we pour out until we're dead, it'll be, it might be noble, but God wants a living sacrifice. So, let, so continuing on, Romans 12, 9 through 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That means really love others. As a family of faith, it's so important that we manifest these expressions of love towards one another. And it also means that we don't need to beat ourselves up if we don't know how to love one, someone well because we've got enough other people who know how to love that person well and we can learn from them how to do it. They can actually teach us how to love in ways that we don't know how to love. We can learn from them. As well as affection, there should be honor. Esteeming each other, valuing each other, showing dignity above our own lives our own wants. Treating each other in this way is profoundly countercultural and extremely empowering to the people on the receiving end when you love them in this way and honor them in this way. Continuing on, 11 through 13, do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Allow this love to set you on fire. Let it, let it set you on fire as you serve. As you open the door for somebody, as you grab them a drink of water, and faithful in prayer. Serve and wait on those around us. That word serve is like, like literally like a, a server at a restaurant. That's what that word means. Like a, a waiter or a waitress. Like serving on somebody, bringing them what's needed. So I want everyone to sign up as a volunteer this week after church on the sign Come to the lunch. No, no pressure. But as, the, as you're set on fire, do that. All right, that brings us to the end. No, wait, not to the end. All of these things can be joyfully attainable as we're transformed by the renewing of our minds as we pour our, love, our lives out as a love offering. They can be joyful and attainable. But, but the next part here is where it actually gets really hard. It's, it can be really hard when we hold on to our flesh. Let me say it that way. It can be really hard if we hold on to our flesh and our old ways of thinking. So let's continue Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay it, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink, for if by doing so you'll heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Bless those who persecute you. Persecution usually comes from outside of the church, but there's actually times where, you know, we fight among ourselves at times. And in both times, love means blessing and not cursing those who are coming against you. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Love never stands far off from what people are going through. Love gets right up close and personal. It spends hours with people. It honors them. It laughs with the laughter and cries with their tears. Living in harmony with one another is understanding that we share some of the same basic needs and concerns and we're faced with some similar things in our lives and living together and working together based on those things and, and, and serving one another. Do not be proud but willing to associate with people of low position. Forgetting status and reputation for the sake of relationship. We don't want anything to come between us and somebody else. God is taking us on this journey from little babies dependent on milk to learning how to feed ourselves and then to learning how to feed others. It's this, it's this journey that we're going through. When we're moved by the love of God and when, when our hearts have been transformed and our minds have been transformed, we're able to grasp his will. All of our relationships will become transformed when we do that. Not only do we offer our bodies to God, not only do we really love one another in Christian community, but now we also serve our enemies. It's a hard thing, but it's what we're called to, and it can be beautiful. This final section, dealing with our relationships with our enemies, I don't think that we actually have enemies, you know? Like, there's people who set themselves up against us, but it's our choice to make them our enemies. For if we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. How much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through this life and represent his sacrifice? What that means is there are three things we must not do. We can't repay anyone evil for evil. We can't take revenge. And we can't be overcome by evil. We cannot do those things. We're not allowed to. Unless we lay down these rights, we'll have no hope or authority in doing the things that God asks us to do. So let's consider each one of these real quick and look at what, what the Lord tells us to do instead. The first two deal with our desire to repay our enemies back for what they've done to us. As a living sacrifice, we don't get to repay. We don't retaliate. We lay our lives down rather than try to take someone else's. When someone wrongs us or hurts us, you know, a lot of times our immediate knee-jerk reaction is like, especially if we're immature children, we hear this and we want to stomp our feet and we want to say, that's not fair, they hurt me, so I want to get them back. In one way or another. When someone's hurt us, we want to choose the time, the place, the method of the payback a lot of times. But when we hear this, we want to stomp our feet and say, that's not fair, you know. We want to do this. We want to control it. But that's not what a living sacrifice does. Our lives are not our own. God says, leave it to me. And I think there's few things in life that demonstrate raw trust in God better than your ability to hand over this responsibility to them. Like, that's really trusting the Lord. It's like, I'm not going to take this up. I'm going to give it to you, Lord. And I think God's response to this is, son and daughter, I nailed myself so that I could show mercy to both of you. I took revenge out for you, out on sin on the cross. That's how much I, I hated it. I killed it. 
That's what Jesus is saying. So I invite you to spend some time and read and meditate on Romans 12 this week. This is from some closing thoughts and takeaways here. God designed the human soul to be passionate and committed. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Let me say that again. God designed the human soul to be passionate and committed. This is the only way that we can function to our fullest. Without abandonment to God, our heart sinks into restlessness. It can seek into boredom and frustration. We must have something in our lives that's worth giving up everything for. God intended our souls to be fascinated with Jesus and what he thinks about. All of our our mind, spirit, and our body. God gave himself as a sacrifice so that we could become a living sacrifice. To follow Christ, we must embrace sacrifice of self for others. True love is defined and expressed through that sacrifice. Jesus said, there's no greater love than this to lay down your life for your friends. He's love. So as an image bearer of love, it's love is natural for us. It can be our joy to love people. Destiny calls us out to live out some of the hardest parts of sacrifice, but it's totally worth it. It might mean laying down our personal desires, preferences, even personal dreams at times. Goals to serve under somebody else, even when it's uncomfortable. It means laying down our comfort, our friend groups sometimes, our family members, community, our jobs, hometowns, our churches to go where God's calling us, and do what he's calling us to do. But we want to do it because he's worthy of it. So Jesus, we just offer this worship time to you, God. We ask that you would come and fill this place, God. That you would encounter us, Jesus, with your love and your kindness and your mercy. You would set us ablaze to to begin to see where our lives can be laid down as a living sacrifice for you. Because you're worthy of it.